Section 51 of The Library of the World's Best Literature Ancient and Modern, Volume 4 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 4 Section 51 Essay on Augustine Barrow by Charles Dudley Warner Those to whom the discovery of a relishing new literary flavor means the permanent annexation of a new tract of enjoyment have not forgotten what happened in 1885. A slender sixteen-month volume, entitled Obiter Dicta, containing seven short literary and biographic essays, came out in that year, anonymous and unheralded to make such way as it might among a book-realm generation. It had no novelty of subject to help it to a hearing. The themes were largely the most written out in all seeming that could have been selected. A few great orthodox names on which opinion was closed and analysis exhausted. Browning, Carroll, Charles Lamb, and john henry newman are indeed very beacons to warn off the sadded bookman a paper on benvenuto cellini one on actors and one on falstaff closed the list yet a few weeks made it the literary event of the day among epicures of good reading the word swiftly passed along that there was a new sensation of unusually satisfying charm and freshness it was a tour de force like the innocence abroad a journey full of new sights over the most tailed and beaten of tracks the triumph was all the author's own two years later came another volume as a second series of the same general character but superior to the first among the subjects of its eleven papers were Milton, Pope, Johnson, Burke, Lamp again, and Immersion, with some general essays, including that on the Office of Literature given below. In 1892 appeared Rajudicate, really a third volume of the same series, and perhaps even richer in matter and more acute and original in thought. Its first two articles, prepared as lectures on Samuel Richardson and Edward Gibbon, are indeed his high-water mark in both substance and style. Copper, George Borrow, Newman again, Lamb a third time, Hazlitt, Matthew Arnold, and St. Beuve are brought in, and some excellent literary miscellanea. A companion volume called Man, Woman, and Books is disappointing because composed wholly of short newspaper articles. Mr. Beryl's special quality needs space to make itself felt. He needs a little time to get up steam, a little room to unpack his bearers. He is no pastel writer who can say his say in a paragraph and runs dry in two. Hence, these snippy editorials do him no justice. He is obliged to stop every time just as he is getting ready to say something worthwhile. They are his, and therefore readable and judicious, but give no idea of his best powers. He has also written a life of Charlotte Brock, 
but he holds his place in the front rank of recent essayists by the three arbiter dicta and rajudicate volumes of manly luminous penetrating essays full of racy humor and sudden wit of a generous appreciativeness that seeks always for the vital principle which gave the writer his hold on men still more of a warm humanity and a sure instinct for all the higher and finer things of the spirit which never failed to strike chords in the hearts as well as the brain no writer's work leaves a better taste in the mouth he makes us think better of the world of righteousness of ourselves yet no writer is less of a puritan or a philistine none writes with less of pragmatic prose or a less obtrusive load of positive fact he scorns such overladen pedantry and never loses a chance to lash it he tells us what he has never been inside the reading room of the british museum and expounds no theory save the unworthy one that literature ought to please he says the one question about a book which is part of literature is does it read that no one is under any obligation to read anyone else's book and therefore it is a writer's business to make himself welcome to readers that he does not care whether an author was happy or not he wants the author to make him happy he puts his theory in practice he makes himself welcome as a companion at once stimulating and restful of humane spirit and elevated ideals of digested knowledge and original thought of an insight which is rarely other than kindly and deep humor which never lapses into cynicism mr beryl helps to justify walter baghart's dictum that the only man who can write books well is one who knows practical life well but still there are congruities in all things and one feels a certain shock of incongruity in finding that this man of books and purveyor of light genial book talk who can hardly write a line without giving it a quality of real literary savour is a prominent lawyer and a member of parliament and has written a book which ranks among recognized legal authorities this is a series of lectures delivered in 1896 and collected into a volume on the duties and liabilities of trustees but some of the surprise vanishes on reading the book even as alice in wonderland shows on every page the work of a logician trained to use words precisely and criticize their misuse so in exactly the opposite way that this book is full of shrewd judgment the knowledge of life and even the delightful humor which forms so much of beryl's best equipment for a man of letters mr beryl's work is not merely good reading but is a mental clarifier and tonic we are much better critics of other writers through his criticisms on his selected subjects after every reading of Dicta, we feel ashamed of crass and petty prejudice and the face of his lessons in disregarding surface mannerisms for the sake of vital qualities only in one case does he lose his impartiality he so objects to treating immersion with fairness that he even goes out of his way to berate his idol matthew arnold for setting immersion aloft 
but what he says of george borrow is vastly more true of himself he is one of the writers we cannot afford to be angry with end of section fifty one